0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Red and Blue, a podcast where we attempt to critically engage with ideas, regardless of political affiliation or social group, using good faith dialectics supported by logic and reason. We want to depolarize the conversation. Polarization is rampant. And we want to address these issues head on, free of fear with a goal of unity. I'm your host, Beau Richards, and with me as always is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Greetings. Let us get started. So today we're going to do a news a more news-oriented podcast there's always crazy shit going on in the world and we thought it might be nice to address some of it break it down a little bit and try and pull some uh, some kernels some grains of truth from it instead of doing what most people do which is focus entirely on the politics and the polarization we kind of want to pull away from that and say what uh, what can we glean from this that may be helpful for all of humanity uh, so it looks like the first thing we have on the docket is going to be uh, Kamala Harris um, and her stating that uh, her distrust of a potential vaccine that Trump would come out with. Um, So Dan, go ahead and tell me kind of your initial thoughts after hearing hearing her on that interview, uh, kind of showcasing her her skepticisms.
1: Yeah, doing her little political posturing really. i uh i agree with crystal ball from the hill in that that is uh that is an irresponsible position Mm. to take um when you're in the public eye in a manner that she is uh as as large as she is i mean she's a huge figure now as the potential vice president and realistically potentially the president Mm -hmm. um she does have a responsibility to the public during a worldwide pandemic to not so unnecessary fear and doubt. Yes. Um, It goes without saying that a vaccine should be uh, thoroughly tested. Yes, yes. But if it does turn out to be safe and effective, that's the big asterisk, if it Mm -hmm. turns out to be safe and effective, then it is her responsibility as a public figure to encourage everyone to take it so we can get past this whole mess. Uh, so to politicize the whole thing, a couple months before an election, that's just dirty politics and that doesn't serve anybody. And I'm, uh, I'm sorely disappointed, but not surprised. I mean, every, everything I've seen about Harris is she is very much DNC through and through. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to get any courageous new ideas from her. We're going to get the party line. So that's, uh, that's where we're at.
0: <laughs> it's, it, yeah. I thought it was interesting. <clears throat> Because you mentioned the party line, from what I've understood, Biden seems to fall under that party line as well. Like he's, yeah. he, you know, he's towed that party line since the '70s. I think what early, yep. 70, like '73, I think was when he was elected or something. Yeah, and and yet um, before the podcast, he'd referred to it as damage control. But he had went out, uh, made a statement uh, after Kamala had said that, and had basically said that even if he lost the presidency, he would take the vaccine. Or even if it cost him the presidency, he would take the vaccine. (laughs) And I I I found that to be true. Like, that's how it should be approached. That's what I mean by true there is that this in, in, it makes me chuckle when I was reading through this and writing up my notes, because it kind of reminds me what we're trying to do with our podcast and that we're not trying to make this a political issue. We're trying to make this more of a search for the truth and doing the right thing taking responsibility and just trying to be good humans. Mm-hmm. And that's also what they should be doing. So maybe they should be looking, you, both you Kamala and Joe, you need to be listening to our podcast because <laughs> we're exactly, what we're trying to do here is what you should be doing as opposed to pandering to get political points. Because yes, you you take the damn vaccine, you vet it properly, but you take it because otherwise it's going to create political problems. And all of a sudden, why why the fuck would a vaccine be politicized?
1: Same reason masks are politicized. Yeah. It's like, like, I don't really, I I don't
0: understand. It's like, why would you? Yeah. And that was exactly another thing. Like, why is there a culture war on mask wearing? Like, I don't understand that. Why is it like, Oh, if you don't wear a mask, you're automatically a Republican. Or if you're wearing a mask, like, you're not only a Democrat, but you're weak and a sissy or whatever. It's like, no, no, <laughs> just, just no. Like that's a, that should not be the litmus for what it means to take a vaccine to maybe save yourself or your family or to wear a mask. You know, I understand it from a, there's a lot of people who don't give a damn about social norms. Generally, I'm kind of one of those. I actually care less most of the time. I'll, do it because i don't see any reason most of the time to to create discord amongst people it's like i want to get along with everyone and I, but just because i'm told to do something because of society says so doesn't mean i'm going to do it because everyone does it like i'll right. i'll say no if i feel it's unnecessary but to that i'm not just going to like run around or not wear a mask just to piss everyone off it's like i don't want people to die whether i think it's real or not and i i they don't discount the fact that our current virus is real but <laughs> it you know there are people who i think still believe that it's either not as bad as it is or that it may not actually be real but it, it's more so like to make that a political issue it like you said crystal crystal ball she mentioned the, the lack of responsibility um or she mentioned that Kamala has a responsibility to um because of her visibility and her influ- her influence and it's like that that's correct like it shows a lack of responsibility to not approach it that way. Like you need to grow up mm-hmm. basically like.
1: Well, here's the thing though. It's my belief that <clears throat> if she were the type of person to do that, and this holds true in my opinion to any anybody in the higher levels of politics, if she had that sort of constitution to, uh, to be more, um, uh, to have, for her allegiance to be towards the truth rather than the politics, she would not be, allowed to participate at this level the machinery behind the Mm -hmm. scenes on both political parties if you are a say bernie sanders tulsi gabbard andrew yang like you had genuinely have some fresh new ideas and you want to shake things up yeah you don't get to play you're not allowed so the fact that she is the nominee for the vice president again likely to be the president um, is in my mind proof that she frankly is not to be trusted with a whole lot of things. Yeah. Um, it can only be looked at through the lens of if what this person is saying will be good for them politically and also good for me. Well, okay. Then then, then that'll be good for me. Much like, um, if you want to doubt whether or not a vaccine would be, um, politically wise move to participate in if a vaccine is presented well a good vaccine an actually effective vaccine would be a huge win for trump yeah so he's incentivized to to produce that now he's also incentivized to get something out quick that may not be as effective so i'm wary
0: didn't he mention that he maybe it wasn't him but i could have swore i heard that he had mentioned that he expects it'll be out by november uh, is that? Is, do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, and it's it's in that typical Trump fashion of you know working on a vaccine and you know, it should be out soon. You know who knows? Maybe November.
0: That's right. Okay, and he yeah. just
1: floats these things out there that people take as a a factual statement, um, and he does that very much on purpose. Yeah. You know, politically he he's a bit of a savant in in things like that because it is effective um, and it, it works really well, particularly with the current information climate. Meaning, mm-hmm. you know, so much more of the quote-unquote real world uh, is online now. Yeah, yeah, we're all locked down. We do more Zoom calls and all that kind of thing. Social media. Um, that is that is a different reality. The rules are different, and we're still figuring them out. The consequences are different, and we're still figuring them out. Unfortunately, the hard way, um, as opposed to how you know, we have evolved over the last half a million years or whatever to communicate with each other. Um, being in the presence of the person that you communicate with is critical to get the social cues, the facial cues, what the real intent was, all those nuances Mm -hmm. are, as we're finding out critical to reasonable communication. If you take all that away, which we have, then you get Twitter fights and Facebook feuds, uh, and, and it is now spilling over into the quote unquote real world where people in grocery stores will interact as though they're having a Twitter feud. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? Human beings, man, relax. Um, and, and I mean, it's, that's, that's just the state of the world right now. And I'm not yes. sure if there's a solution. And I was, I was thinking about this the other day and realizing, and you're probably in the same boat, I'm not on social media you know, we decided to do this podcast because I, I have the technical ability, and and I wanted to to put a message out there. But I am not active on social media in any way. I'm uncancelable because yeah. I don't partake. So for me, the the real world is still the real world. It's not online. It's not social media for for me personally. So my interactions still happen majority with real live right. human flesh and blood. Until
0: <laughs> our podcast takes off, and then there is that, and then and, you are online, right? Exactly, <laughs> uh,
1: and and we'll we'll see how that goes. But I I, I currently still have a physical, real-world model of the world, as opposed to, say, millennials and or Gen Z that have literally grown up and developed socially online. And the nuances that are evolving in that arena, Mm -hmm. and also the nuances that are falling away because they're not in the physical presence of people, it's literally changing communication. Uh, how that all shakes out, I don't know. It doesn't look real positive, but human beings are fairly resilient, so I'm sure we'll figure something out. But right now, it's a bit sketchy.
0: Yeah, no, it very much is. And um, I want to go back to a couple of things that um, – or to to what Crystal Ball had said and also to what uh, Kamala Harris had also said, too. Um, one of the things Kamala had said in her interview was that, and um, quote, things are ugly all the way around. And um, – I thought this. I don't remember exactly what she was attributing it to. I think she was just talking about the, the the craziness of the situation, and it kind of made me realize that like she's right. Like everything is everything is ugly. Like how Trump has handled this, how health officials have handled everything from the beginning. You know, how everyone has kind of bungled this up, and I, there's a large percentage of the population who doesn't think that the government actually handled this the way they should have. And there's decent evidence now that's out that shows that it's probably actually as true. and I agree. And yet, and I take that back, I don't think it was uh, Kamala said if things were ugly all the way around, I think it was Crystal. But um, my point is that when things are like that, throwing more into the muck isn't the right way to go about it. Like that's not how you should solve problems when there's problems. It's just, let's just lob another problem onto the situation. It's like, no, you slice through it with truth, with responsibility. You know, I'm going to preach on this forever because it's something that i i don't know how to not do but like you you find the problems and you pick them up and you walk through the shit and that's that's how you solve these problems whatever those answers are i don't know a lot of them i don't know that's why i'm not in the position that joe biden is in nor do i want to be but i can tell you that the way to go about doing this stuff is not to pander to the you know to the pundits who are going to help give you more money or vote for you or whatever it's you you need to give them solutions to the actual problems, not elucidate the problems themselves or make them worse.
1: I agree with that as a statement. However,
0: that doesn't um, mean it's easy, of course. Well, no, clarify, I think there's but. a
1: conflict of interest. See, th- that statement assumes that these politicians really do have uh, the people's well-being as their primary interest, which I do not think is true. Yes, I'm not saying that they, you know, hate people. Um, or, you know, they're misanthropes or anything like that. But the number one priority is to keep winning politically. Sure. That's, that's number one, and that's, that is a conflict of interest when it comes to uh, general well-being. Uh, I'm going to take a quick ride. i got my water. No worries. And I do have a thought.
0: While you're grabbing that, I'll make a quick, I wanna give a quick shout out to, you had mentioned Tulsi Gabbard, and I think she deserves a shout out because she was just recently drafted as one of the two members on the article of unity presidential bid, um, her and uh, Mr. Dan Crenshaw. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty awesome. Um, I'm really excited to see what the groundswell of support that's been kind of, the grassroots groundswell that's kind of been uh, going on um over the last few weeks and months I'm, I'm excited to see if they can take that and make it actionable and get those two on the ballots in all the 50 states for the third party nomination um for anyone who's listening is not familiar uh, check out articles of unity that's a-r-t-i-c-l-e-s-o-f-u-n-i-t-y.org it's run by evolutionary biologist Brett Weinstein and his wife Heather Hying, who's also an evolutionary biologist. Weinstein. Weinstein, sorry, I, not to the, be
1: confused. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
0: and uh, it's it's a great platform. It's a great idea. It's kind of it's a um, it is actually a uh, a new way to approach the current political issues that we're in, and it's just a new way to try and help move us forward. Most people are fed up with the duality that we're currently locked in the, the left, the right, the red, the blue, the Democrat, the Republican, liberal, conservative um, dichotomy. And so this is a I think has over the next few years, if not this this year at the election, has a very good shot of disrupting some political norms, which I'm really excited about. And I also just like Dan Crenshaw and Tulsi Gabbard. I think they both be very good. Um, and notably, they like each other. That's oh yes, yeah, so actually
1: like each other and would be able to work together. That's
0: the kind of the cool thing <clears throat> is that um, while they're both, uh, Dan you know Dan is much uh, is a conservative and Tulsi does identify as a liberal. They um, are both willing to talk and do get along very well. I think that uh, Dan in particular has mentioned that they're good friends, and I think uh, he even might have mentioned that she is probably his closest liberal friend in the House. Um, She's also the most pleasant I've seen. So that doesn't surprise me too much. But, <laughs> but so doesn't hurt. That, that's my very, very short, very long um, shout out. You had a thought. Um,
1: yeah, you had uh, you had mentioned personal responsibility mm-hmm. and
0: uh, I will always mention that.
1: Yeah. Um, Brett had a another campfire last Weinstein, night. right? Yep. Brett Weinstein had a um, campfire last night, which is he uses that as a metaphor for how we as human beings evolved to communicate and work out problems meaning when the day's work was done when the sun is down and you can't hunt for food um, we would gather around a campfire stay warm and that is the time where we would discuss the events of the day and the goings-on of the tribe so he uses that metaphor to bring on guests and, and have conversations in that format uh, and he talked about a lot of things, talked about unity, of course, and there was actually some really good discussion on that. So that's worth checking out. But what struck me as uh, really well stated was the the standpoint on personal responsibility and opportunity that traditionally the left and the right have taken where the left is solely focused on um, The opportunities are unequal, and that's not fair, and we must fix that, Mm -hmm. whereas the right traditionally uh, focuses less on the inequities and says you need to use your own personal responsibility to make the most of uh, what opportunities that you have. Yes. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I think they're both incomplete in uh, that—and this is Brett's point that I agree with— that it's there's both societally, as a community of a mere three hundred thirty million people, um, as a society, we have the obligation to create the most equal opportunity, not outcome, opportunity possible. That would be perfect. That's not going to happen, but as close as we can get it. And while that is going on, it's the individual's responsibility to make the most of whatever opportunities that you happen to have. Mm -hmm. Both of those things need to come together. That's kind of the the social contract when it comes to opportunity and responsibility. And to ignore either uh, is, you know, do so at your own detriment. And I think a lot of people do. Uh, but both need to be considered. It's not either or. They're not mutually exclusive.
0: No, very true. And I, I think um, talking to people is like that's really fundamentally what you, <clears throat> I mean, what you're describing is people need to talk, and they need to do so about as free of judgment as you can. Right. You need to be able to sit down with somebody and say, Hey, I have an idea. And then the person goes, well, that's a shitty idea, but instead of calling you a Nazi or punching you in the face, they tell you why, and then you hash it out. And then maybe you get punched in the face later because maybe that's deserved. Um, I doubt like 95% of the population deserves or would qualify for what it means to be a Nazi, but like, you need to eliminate a lot of that. You need to sit down and say, look, let's, let's hash this out. I don't have the right answers, but I feel like this might be along the way does that sound reasonable to you, or is that a horrible idea and why? And the other person can then respond. And then, because I think you're right, like fundamentally, you have a care for the dispossessed, right? The inequalities of the world, which are real. Mm-hmm. Like they're very, very real, and it is a problem. And um, I forget who I was listening to, but someone, I was listening to someone over the weekend. And basically what they said is that they feel like there's a, there's a decently a very loud group of individuals right now who have identified legitimate problems, but don't know how to aim. Right. right. And so like how I pictured it in my head was like, you know, that there's a problem, <clears throat> let's say you're hunting and you know that there's a deer out there, but then you turn around and fire your gun towards the houses. <laughs> like, you're actually trying to hunt. So that's the first thing like that. And then you identify where the deer is in the woods. And so that's the actual problems. And that's all correct. And then you, you know, shoot the wrong direction in a way that's just going to get people killed. Um, I I think that's kind of what we're looking at is that you have, they're identifying the problems, but then they're looking the wrong way. And then the other end, you get too far. And it's like a big thing for them is like, yes, there's inequalities, but we the structure that we have works. it works better than it ever has worked. so the answer is not to just throw everything away to fix these perceived inequalities right exactly um, so so you have two problems one, you have identifying inequities, which is correct, but then pointing pointing your aim at the wrong like in the wrong direction right let's topple everything, let's just dismantle everything that we have, and I'm using um, there, collectively the language um, dismantling the patriarchy let's say as a way to describe that versus let's not you know let's not just tear everything down inequalities are bad but if you focus too much on how good the system is the inequalities just inevitably get worse mm-hmm. so there has to be a give and take there has to be otherwise you just get tyranny on both sides and it's bad either way and it's like no, just shut up and shut up and talk. <laughs> 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 What's that line from uh, um, Wedding Crashers? Shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> Do that, right? <laughs> and um, just, you, but you have to be willing to let go of whatever, whatever ego it is that is holding on to the, these ideas about what the problems are. Like it, it doesn't mean that there aren't problems and they're not real and they're not really bad and that they're not worse than we actually think they are. It just means that maybe other people have good ideas too, and we should attempt to figure out the proper ways forward together. Otherwise, it's all just, like you said, it's all just gonna come crumbling down.
1: Yeah, I think it's, <clears throat> it's partially just because of the, uh, again, the dehumanization of our cur- current method of communication, mm-hmm. whereas it's a lot easier to stuff someone into the quote-unquote other category where you have your your group of people, which you know prior to the internet was however many people that you actually knew and interacted with, um, but now that's grown into this kind of bastardized concept of that of these groups that form online. And I don't say bastardized like like it's inherently a bad thing, but there are some results of this method of communication where it makes it really easy to. Uh, consider someone as an other. Mm-hmm. oh, you're a Republican, you're a Trumper, you're an other. When the reality is we're all human beings. We don't have to agree on everything. We, we can come together and work stuff out. But when the method of communication for doing so and the you know, the, the organs of sense making, as Eric Weinstein would say, um, have been corrupted in such a way, that we effectively lose our humanity. Yes. Um, I think that's that's really a, a core piece of the problem. I don't know how to fix it. Um, my gut says, well, you know, get together in person more. Oh, yeah, that's right. We got a worldwide pandemic going on. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes that difficult. I don't know what the answer is, but I do believe that's part of the problem.
0: Yeah, I, I think... I think a very simple but very difficult to enact answer is, and like I said, I'm gonna be a broken record forever on this. Grow up, take some responsibility. I don't care what it is, but do it. And slowly make yourself a better human. And if you have a spouse that you live with, they they will inevitably hopefully get better too in whatever ways that they feel they need to get better or just inevitably get better. And then the people that you do interact with, They'll notice the changes.
1: Well, you know what? I'm going to push back on that. Sure. Um, and I,
0: This podcast is over. <laughs> Thanks, first, everybody. First of, all,
1: <laughs> first of all, I do agree with what you're saying. However, I, I think of this from the standpoint of someone who truly believes that they are doing exactly that. Yes. yes, I am taking personal responsibility by going out and marching with Black Lives Matter and taking it however far they believe is necessary all the way up to Molotov cocktails and looting. Um, they could very well, from their own frame of reference, their own beliefs, go, yeah, I'm doing exactly that. This is me taking personal responsibility. So I think there, there's there's another dimension mm-hmm. to, um, to the conversation rather than, um, not rather than, but in addition to just saying personal responsibility, but <clears throat> taking the humanity into account, being... Um, Getting rid of the ego and assuming you're right. You can believe you're right, but always be willing to challenge those notions because one of two things will happen. You'll either learn something new mm-hmm. or you will fortify your beliefs and you'll feel that much more stronger about them. Yep. Both are a win. Um, but that requires a um a hunger for actual truth rather than a social win or belonging to a group. Yeah, which yep. are very, very powerful forces. Um that uh, that some people are going to value way more than than truth, especially now that truth itself uh, is being questioned and attacked. And uh, well, yeah, and so yeah.
0: this actually um, two things. One, I, I actually do agree with your pushback. I've, I've tried to gra- I've grappled that for a couple of years now because you know a lot of protesters, let's say, as an example, that you're right. They do believe. Right. And maybe they
1: picture this as strongly as you feel right now, Mm -hmm. your personal sense of certainty that, you know, personal responsibility Mm -hmm. is a key to success. Someone else feels exactly as strong about something different.
0: What I would say to that though, is at least this is the thing that popped into my head first is that while that may be true on an emotional visceral level, I have zero problem whatsoever changing my ideas on personal responsibility if something comes along that I find to be better. And I know this because I changed my mind when I discovered the notion of personal responsibility and found it to be better than whatever nihilism it was I was dealing with from the age of six until I was you know 29. Because that's roughly what it was, was nihilism to some degree. And cause you know, I was an angry young teen and sure. tween oh, yeah. and 20 year old and, <clears throat> and so that's the first thing that pops to my mind. Is like, I, it, it, I would be shocked if the individuals that we're discussing, really the group that we're discussing, because individualism isn't really a thing um, with the group by and large. I would be shocked if they would be willing to consider other ideas. And that's part of the problem, is that. Not mm. only
1: are they, from what I've seen, not only are they not willing to consider ideas, they are proactively shutting down the communication and expression of mm. said ideas, of anybody in the group. Yes. You know, go back to everything with Brett Weinstein. Yeah, yeah. And as as maliciously as he was verbally attacked in the various different, you know, struggle sessions, I would say that they really were... Um, occasionally as a, as a as a great teacher he would try to pull somebody aside and actually dialogue with them because yeah. they weren't letting him speak when they were yelling at him and sure enough people from the group would come over and don't talk to him mm-hmm. we ain't talking to him da, 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 yeah. and shut
0: it down um that's the difference that i see though is that because I, I do agree like a lot of people are taking responsibility or what they see as responsibility and following something that they do believe in. And like there is actually something to be said for not knowing what, being so frustrated with the system that you wanna flip the board upside down. And so like I do get that frustration. Sure. And it's like sometimes that's actually necessary. If inequality does get bad enough, the people at the bottom will just burn everything down. And maybe they have a right to. And so I've been grappling with that for a while because like, I think that that might actually be fundamentally a thing that could need to happen. Does it think it needs to happen now? No, but like that's something that's there. And so that's their responsibility. That is is very, very true. But I think that at the level that it's their responsibility, if they're unwilling to, if they're unwilling to I think, that they, I think that they feel that they've exhausted all other avenues before they come to that. When That isn't actually true, right? Like, I'm going to try and do as many things as I can before I get to the point that I want to burn things to the ground. I'm not just going to decide the world sucks. I'm going to burn things to the ground, right? And so a lot of the people who feel that way feel that there's no other option but to dismantle everything.
1: I think they've been fed that line,
0: and that's what I mean. <clears throat> though, is it? But they believe it.
1: They believe it, but they didn't. They didn't like critically think about it and go yes. through all their options. They came across some material or a person that mm-hmm. sold them a story, and they're like, "Oh my God, yes, of course, Black Lives Matter, and this is ridiculous, and the patriarchy, and intersectionalism." And like, "Oh, I had no idea. Oh, yes, I'm on your team." I and, and they'll sure. jump in, and they will automatically give authority to the people that are spreading this message. You know, the, yes. the Robin D'Angelos and the Ebron, Ibram, Ibram X. Kindies, um, partially out of ignorance. Yeah. Like oh, I'm, I'm a white person. I didn't realize this was going on. Holy crap. Well, I, I have to look to somebody who's had this experience or who's been dealing with this for so long. Robin, tell me how to do with this. Um, and the, the reality is that, uh, she's just wrong. She's inaccurate. <laughs> this is not in line with objective reality. Um, Well, objective reality doesn't
0: exist, so that would make sense.
1: Whew, yeah. Yeah. That's, Um, uh, well, you know, even words themselves, even knowledge itself is subjective, mm -hmm. and your knowledge is different than my knowledge, and the two will never be able to be reconciled other than realizing that they are grabs for power. So how does your knowledge serve you in a uh, a quest for power, and everything you say has to be taken into account from that lens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, it, it is such a, a lack of understanding of what of what logic is, what the scientific method is. It is it is what are the answers that you would get repeatedly, regardless of who is conducting an experiment, regardless mm-hmm. of where they conduct the experiment, works for everybody every time. Okay, we call that a scientific fact. We yep. we worked that out and it's dependable. Therefore, we can call that a piece of knowledge. Yes. Um,
0: and that's going away, which <laughs> at some point here soon, um, I want to make sure we do this right. And by that, I mean, do I, I will personally probably have to read the book four or five times, but I want to do a breakdown of white fragility yeah. by Robin DiAngelo and not just to tear apart some of the more pernicious and um, destructive ideas. Cause there are those, I mean, people, people who've left scathing reviews of the book have said that you know the the, she, the book is basically about how all white people are racist mm-hmm. and I've actually seen people online talk about how like that isn't the case which I find really funny but uh, I've read the book and that actually is what she, she literally says this oh yeah she I've do- seen video of her yeah. saying exactly that yeah she doesn't <laughs> it's not like people are you know uh, kind of uh, exacerbating what she's saying or anything, there, there, she literally on one of the pages says, all white people are racist. So that's a little divisive. Do <laughs> you think? Um, and so, but what I think would be good to do is at some point to kind of, because there's a good number of legitimate truths, kernels of truth, grains of truth <laughs> in, um, in what she says. Cause like we were talking about earlier, like there, there are actual <coughs> problems in the world. There are, there are inequities, you know, racism, sexism, bigotry, homophobia, transphobia, like these things all do exist. Like they're, they're not figments of BIPOC imagination. You know, it, it, this isn't a, you know, and like white people just don't see it. That's not actually how the world works. Like yep. this actually does happen to everybody, regardless of race, color, creed, religion, what have you. It happens to some people or some races or genders more than others, and I, uh, uh, but it's real. And so she's pointing a finger at the actual problem, and but aiming at the wrong direction, I think, is the big issue. And she, yeah. and she yeah. does make a lot of generalizations that um, I personally find very, very silly, her interactions that she has in the book, or uh, <laughs> some of her interactions and <laughs> stories that she tells, I, um, I, I, I find just to actually be racist but also really weird. Like she, I I forget. Like I said, when we go over this more in depth, I'll bring up one of the examples in particular where she talks about something and it's a situation that I would never, I like, I just would never assume what it was that she assumed because it's a silly thing to assume. I I think it was like a, an example of a barbecue. Right. I, I remembered it. So the example is she's going to a barbecue for a friend from work or something. And she gets to the, the park and there's a, large group of white people barbecuing and a large group of black people. And her first thought is, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like, I hope I don't have to have barbecue with the black folks. Yep. yep. <laughs> She's told that story out of the video as well. Yeah. And, and I, I'm sitting here thinking like, <clears throat> a I've never thought that B you've clearly never had barbecue. <laughs> like, so, I, damn! I want to go have. <laughs> I want some of that. I'm sorry, but I, I, I've that white barbecue. Come on! I, I've I've had barbecue in Atlanta from Southern, from a bunch of Southern Baptist blacks, and um, I was at a Southern Baptist convention, and the vast majority of uh, Southern Baptist, uh, at least in Southern states, where it's most prominent, are black, and they have absurd barbecue, and it's delicious. So I'm not going to care if I have to. <laughs> not that I'm just going to go just for that alone, but they have good food. I'm not worried about it. They're also lovely people, but also her friend was white, so she should have noticed the one white person in the black barbecue, (laughs) which she doesn't, she like, (laughs) as like an obvious example, I'm like, no, you're not, you're not going to look and be like, I hope I don't have to go over there. You're going to say my white friend's not over there. It's only black people. She must be in the other group. It's, I I
1: think D'Angelo has a very uh, Freudian situation in that Freud, just insisted that everybody did everything because they wanted to fuck their mother yeah uh brah that was just you <laughs> robin you're a racist yeah um, i glad you realize that but don't put that on everybody
0: yeah and it, it's just very interesting and it's like okay sure like i'm on board with the idea that say technically color blindness isn't an issue like if i go to a barbecue at a park, and I notice that, I'm not gonna not notice that black people are there because I don't right. see color. I'm gonna notice a group of black people. But I'm not gonna say, oh, I hope I don't have to go over there. Like, yeah. If I have to go over there, I have to go over there. I don't care. I, I will say, I think that in, in, during this whole,
1: as, as D'Angelo has exploded after George Floyd and stuff like that, um, I will give credit to that concept of um, don't be colorblind. Yeah. Where, because I, I fell into that camp because uh, I, I don't care. Um, but I think there is value in acknowledging if you grow up black in America, that's a different experience. Sure. And it's not a value judgment. It's a recognition of someone's circumstances. Sure. And you can say the same thing if you you know, come from upper middle class and you happen to be interacting with someone who is lower middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they probably didn't do their spring break in Cabo. You might want to know that going in before you make them feel bad about it or, or something, you know, you kind of yeah. get the example. I was of, that
0: person. I've never. I, I, I never went to Cabo. No, uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know where Cabo is. Is it Mexico? Yeah. OK, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've never been to Mexico. Yeah. So, Assuming you know where Cabo is. <laughs> yeah. that,
1: like so, you yeah, know, the, the awareness of someone else's experience is important. Um, it's important and it's a useful tool in fostering just good communication yeah. with another human being. Um, So, don't be colorblind, but don't make a value judgment on it. Well, that's the thing. I agree with that. Like, in
0: as much as it is important that someone has had an experience or experiences throughout their life, say, because of their blackness or their, you know, or or their femininity or their their gayness, whatever, you know, whatever label you want to attribute to somebody, that doesn't mean that A, it's the only thing about them. Yes. That it should be the only thing about them. And most importantly for me, that. In the broad scheme, like in the grand scheme of who they are as an individual, that it's actually the even at all like that important or the <clears throat> most important thing about them. And, like,
1: you know, unfortunately, and I agree with that 100%. I believe it's critical race. It's either critical race theory or postmodernism. They blend together in my head. But yeah. um, the dehumanization and de individualization of the person yeah. is at the core. That means, yes, you don't matter because you are a brown body. You are a white body before anything else. Yeah. That is your most important responsibility is to be a whatever, a black body. Part like, of the group. What the fuck are yeah. you talking about? And it's, it... I, I. If anything, you could say that this country, this giant patch of dirt that we call the United States was founded on... Um, you know, personal opportunity, individuality. Mm-hmm. That's what we've decided. That's how we've decided to structure things on this patch of dirt. Uh, and that was written down. So that's that's a core tenet mm-hmm. of, of how we all agreed to do this. So to attack that is to literally uh, attack the United States, attack the Republic. Yeah. Um, and what is it you think you're going to replace it with?
0: That's That's really the big thing for me is that, you know, like I said, we've we mentioned again and again on this podcast that um, there are actual grains or, sa- or kernels of truth or what have you to a lot of this stuff. The the biggest issue for me is that what next? Yeah. Like I'll probably ask that a lot because we're going to we'll get more into critical race theory in particular because um, it, it's littered. It's not I don't think it's actually sp- explicitly named in White Fragility, the book, but it, her uh, uh, Robin D'Angelo her whole ethos is, is built upon that, but. Oh, big. And, uh,
1: so just to interrupt, I noticed that, um, Helen Pluckrow is giving a talk. Uh, it was on the new discourses she's talking about postmodernism. Mm-hmm. And she made a really good point about Robin DiAngelo <clears throat> because kind of, you know, her, her lineage, back to the initial uh, postmodern thought in the 30s and et cetera, et cetera. But what D'Angelo did is she took postmodernism, she took critical race theory, she took intersectionality and packaged it in common language that everybody the, yeah. can digest.
0: And that's why it's popular.
1: Exactly. And, and the same thing could be said for uh, for anybody that's, that's been involved with like personal growth and development. Tony Robbins did the same thing. Tony Robbins came up with very, 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 very little... Original material. Mm. He was, you know, regurgitating stuff that people have been saying a long time that people had been regurgitating from people before them. Sure, you sure. Know, um, but he packaged it in a way that you know it made him millions back in the '80s and '90s, um, and and it, it's it's very effective. Not, I mean, I'm not, not knocking Tony Robbins, but that was a big reason that you know he kind of became the name of sure. personal growth and development um, because he was able to put it into plain language. And Robin D'Angelo. Uh, I think a a great deal of her success is for the same reason. Well, yeah,
0: and so, um, like I was mentioning, uh, pull that
1: mic away a little bit. Pull it away. I had it set for where you had it before. Okay. Yeah. No worries. So wanted to clip. Perfect.
0: Okay. Good. So, um, (laughs) the issue for me isn't identifying the problems. Like, I think people tend to have an idea of what the problems actually are. It's the aim, and the aim seems to be like this regression into racial essentialism into tribalism, into um, original sin that you can't get rid of. Mm-hmm. Like, at least in Catholicism, there's absolution at the end. Or, right. it, you know, in, in <clears throat> Protestant religions, there's absolution at the end. And, um, and that's the problem is it's like, ha, let, let's, let's actually solve the issue. And I, I just don't think that shoving everyone into groups and then somehow not having a race war at the end isn't the solution because that's what will happen. It's inevitable. How many times have you
1: heard someone from the the BLM camp or the, the critical race theory camp saying this work will never be done? Yes. And nobody stands up and says what the fuck? Um that what are you talking about will never be done so you will always be right and we will always be subservient Mm -hmm. to you and your view of the world to tell us what the real truth is and how to act that doesn't make any sense that makes about as much sense as white people doing that to black and brown people so you're just flipping the script and that's not going to help
0: anybody here's the grain of truth though people are biased so there will always mm-hmm. be racism and sexism and other bi- forms of bigotry to deal with. Mm-hmm. And that's how it gets re- used. And that's how that's how it, it continues to be used without anyone scoffing at it. It's, it's like, you're calling it out, and I think that's correct, but someone's going to come back and say, what, we're not going to have racists in 50 years? There will always be
1: exactly. bigotry and racism. So the and work is never done. <clears throat> there will be a level of acceptability mm-hmm. when that... Uh, bigotry and racism no longer impacts your opportunities because someone can be as fucking racist as they want inside their own house. That is their right to do. Yeah. Believe what do they want? Just the same that, uh, you know, you get to believe in a zombie Jesus, Yeah. which sounds really fucking intense. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist, but I only say that just to push the buttons of anybody who may be listening in that, Um, cherish your beliefs, but realize that it's your right to believe them, but it's not your right to force everyone else to believe the same thing. So if you want to believe in a certain flavor of religion, somebody else gets to believe in some racist ideology, but they do not get to affect other people at the point where they are negatively impacting someone else's opportunities. Mm -hmm. That's where we got to make some laws. That's where we got to put a stop to it and, uh, you know, take authoritative action if needed. Yeah, yeah. But you can't. This is not the thought police. So
0: well, to say, the work,
1: yeah. the, the the stopping point of the work, quote unquote, is uh, when we reach as when we get to a reasonably close level of equal opportunity. Once we have that, I, I say that the work is done. Um, you know, it'll never be mathematically perfect. Sure, sure, sure. It can be improved. Let us not forget how far we actually have come. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you talk to some of the uh, people that have gone through civil rights um, or even people that have um, worked really hard, black people that have worked really hard to gain you know, success in academia or in business, um, and maybe they're in their 40s or 50s or 60s right now, and they can remember mm-hmm. back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, yo, we're trending in the right direction. It has gotten a lot better. We still got work to do. Yes. But let's just keep pushing in this direction and making it better rather than screwing the whole thing up and causing a civil war and setting everybody back who knows how far.
0: Sure. So I'll push back a little bit on what you said about the work being done. Um, I actually agree with the statement as it stands. The work is never done. And the reason I agree with that is because I think we always as a community have to have a dialogue between opposing um, viewpoints between opposing temperaments between the right and the left, let's say conservatives and liberals, whatever that actually can't stop because it get, bad stuff happens when it does. The problem that I have with the statement is when you put it in context with what we're discussing with say critical race theory, um, is there's a bigger question or a more important question that is, what is the work? That, that, that's <laughs> was, the question for me. Is that, I was just going to push back on your pushback yeah, with that exact question. That, and th- yeah. that, That's where the pushback <clears throat> for me starts. Not necessarily on the work is necessarily done. I, I think that it's more of a, let's clean the house up and then we can relax for a bit. And we know if the house gets a little bit dirty, let's clean it up. Or maybe let's try and stay on top of the dirt, vacuum a bit, yes. do the laundry. But in that regard, keeping your house clean is never technically done, but you're done with your chores every day. That makes sense.
1: Well, if 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 you speak of it in terms of rather than um, reform, it is the maintenance of systems that are in place. Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, I don't. So, my assumption was I didn't consider that the work. It is work, of course. Maintenance is work. Um, But when I hear someone from the critical race theory camp talk about the work is never done. I read that as white people will always be racist and That's, cannot yes. repent. Sure. The best you can do is become an anti-racist and do what we tell you to do because we know what's right because you're not black and we are. So you just got to listen to us.
0: Very, very true. And yeah, because I actually do agree with that assessment. That's what I hear too. However, um, I think it's good to clarify that a lot of people aren't aware of that and are and or aren't going to believe that that's the connection being made because it on the surface, unless you've actually looked into this stuff, it seems like quite a far leap. And mm-hmm. so I want to, I wanted to kind of make those distinctions a bit because we're always going to have to work to get along regardless of oh, yeah. how people feel about it. But it's like define the work for me. If the work, if by work you mean what you were saying earlier, you know, a second ago about um, white flagellation and um, you know, groveling and foot kissing and, and tears or no tears n- there can't be tears i forgot white but tears can't do tears. no um, white tears p- oh that's right because white women
1: white women tears yeah that's can do tears yeah um, yeah yeah
0: i don't know if m- male tears male tears you probably can't cry if you're a guy too men shouldn't cry if you, if you got
1: a man bun you'd yeah. probably be okay <laughs> <laughs> shout out to all the man buns out
0: there get your fucking haircut <laughs> <laughs> I lost my train of practice now. I'm <laughs> <laughs>
1: Mind you, we're not on video right now. Um I have a a very short crew cut and uh I'm bald. I'm both fully
0: bald
1: so. <laughs> yeah, a couple hippies in the house.
0: Right. Um <clears throat> but yeah, so th- that would be what my either pushback or my clarify there is that um I think that it, it's defining the work and, and for me that's really just defining the problem or aiming at the right problem. Or not sorry, not aiming at the problem, aiming at um yeah, aiming at the problem and trying to figure out what we can do to, to, to fix it. And
1: I think I, w- I would call that accurately defining the problem. Yes.
0: And that's like, hard. Like a, yeah. a lot of what we're talking about isn't necessarily easy to that. that that's, that's part of it is it, it may be somewhat simple to identify, but it's not easy to implement. And I think that's why a lot of people, I think that's why actually why people latch onto a lot of these platitudes that sound good. Um, I mean, I actually do believe fundamentally, that's why I say the phrase like black lives matter is so popular. I, I mean, it's popular in part because people are empathetic. They have compassion. They don't want black people to die. And that's laudable. And I don't want that either, but it's a phrase that like you, you can't disagree with it.
1: I find it as true as the Patriot Act. Yeah. Who's going to disagree with the Patriot Act?
0: Yeah. There's this, um, nothing there's,
1: patriotic about that motherfucker. Th-
0: there's this episode in uh, <coughs> Parks and Rec, um, where, uh, the reasonableists there are a group <laughs> of individuals that believe that, uh, Zorp, who's like a 30 foot tall lizard is going to come down to earth and he's going to breathe fire and, we all everyone's going to be melted and turned into fuel. Um, they called themselves the reasonableists because they reasoned that no one el- no one would criticize them.
1: Exactly. Because then <laughs> yes. they'd be
0: criticizing reason. And this is this is that kind of, and I think yep. that they were making a joke about like a lot of these more radical um, uh, platitudes that are used these ideologies that they use these simple platitudes that it's like well this is easy, it's surface level. I don't have to think about it.
1: Well, it's 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 absolutely that, and it's on <clears> the <throat> on an intellectual level. Um, I've heard Brett call it a bot, a motton and bailey, a bot and bailey, a motte and bailey. Which, for those not familiar, in uh, I believe medieval times, when there were you know villages and castles and such, and you needed to protect your village from marauders and whatnot, um, the the expense it would take to um, create a defensive perimeter for an entire village. Let's call it, you know, 100 acres or whatever. Um, wasn't really, was, was untenable. Maybe there's not enough stone in mm. the area. To, you know, for whatever reason, like, we can't we can't fortify this whole thing, but what we can do is put up a fence or a short wall around the village itself where there's space to, you know, grow your crops and have your livestock and, and do the things you need to do. But there is, and that's the Bailey. And then there's the Mott, which is a it's typically up on a hill. Mm. Which particularly back then with hand to hand fighting, um, you know, having an elevated position is hugely advantageous. Yep. So they throw it up on a hill and they fortify the crap of it out of it, and it looks you know kind of like a castle or what have you with stone. And it's essentially it's a panic room. Yeah. Where if someone is attacking, everybody uh, goes out of the bailey and they head up into the mot where they're safe. Yeah. Now they can't go. They can't tend their fields. They can't take care of their livestock. So you can't live in there. But uh, you're safe from you know whatever the marauding force is. So <clears throat>
0: it's Helms Deep in Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So how that works with uh, these arguments is when someone makes a, a radical statement like um, uh, white supremacy is, is something that can never be conquered and all whites are white supremacist. Um, if you attack that, if you attack the Bailey of that idea, then they can retreat up to the mot of, well, black lives matter. What, do you hate black people? Yeah. Where you take a controversial idea, you float that, you try to advance that idea, and if anybody attacks that idea, you retreat to a very obvious, simple statement mm-hmm. and try to connect those two. Um, and, and that's where the logical fallacy lies.
0: Well, yeah, and um, another thing I just thought of, I thought was very interesting, so... With you know Black Lives Matter, we have the alternative or one of the alternatives blue Lives Matter, and this is a good example of kind of what you're explaining and and, and how strong it <clears throat> is. People came up with Blue Lives Matter to talk about protecting cops mm-hmm. and but the very simple caveat to that is that people aren't born blue, and so they don't yep. have that mot that you're talking about, right because if they're born blue that just that means that this, there was a stillborn death. <laughs> so yeah. they're not actually alive. So, right. you know, technically speaking, and so that's the power of that sort of thing is it's like, well, the counter to it, it you know, well, and again, what's the counter to all All lives matter? It's like, well, you're a racist. Mm-hmm. Like, black lives don't matter. It's like, there's a point, like with most things, there's like a, there's like yeah. a grain of, there's like an actual truth to that, but it's intellectually shallow
1: yes and
0: but it's easy to parrot and it's easy to feel and there's a a, an emotional response to it which is as there arguably should be because black lives do matter and you should feel some pain when you watch you know let's say george floyd is an example you watch Mm -hmm. what's the Derek? i don't remember his last name the white guy literally do neon belly on his neck for nine minutes
1: oh tony tempa yeah the white guy yeah Yeah. and
0: it's like um it's like yeah i've I've had someone put their shin across my stomach and my chest and my face, like it hurts. <laughs> like I was very, very fucking angry watching that happen for eight minutes and how many ever six minutes and forty seconds, whatever the time frame was. Like 42. that's that's way too long. It doesn't yeah. matter to me if he's the reason for George to die that George died, or if yeah. George died of his own accord due to an overdose due to drugs in his system. What like it doesn't matter. That's wrong. And so it's like it creates that emotional response as it should mm-hmm. however like with most things you, in order to reason through stuff you you got to take a deep breath and say wait a minute is there more to this and when the thinking able- is hard man i can't <laughs> retweet that well that's, that, that's the thing is that thinking is hard and i don't blame a lot of people for being lazy and not wanting to think like because it sucks but like with anything else it's simple and not easy Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. coming up with the, uh, like, thinking through this stuff it isn't, there's not really anything complicated about it. You just got to sit down and think. We've been thinking since we were kids. Like, the act of thinking in and of itself to do it isn't really all that difficult for us anymore. Doing it well is hard.
1: It depends on who you're talking to.
0: It's true, yeah. But see, there's a differentiation <laughs> between, like, oh, I'm going to think a thought and then thinking an actual good thought and then thinking it through right. and then challenging that thought and then having a dialectic with somebody. Critical and, thinking. Exactly. and And so it's like, that's hard to do, but I think it's what's necessary is, I actually like doing it. I I might be a masochist for that, I don't know. Um, I prefer to challenge myself with different ideas and I prefer to sit down and think very hard until I have a headache or until I get tired or until I get angry over stuff that I like and don't like because I don't have all the answers. And it would seem to me that if I prematurely close off other people talking and other people's ideas without assimilating them and fighting the ideas that I have that, that I, don't know, I feel like an asshole. I, I, I agree with that. I feel, I feel very
1: similarly. And <clears throat> at least it's been my experience with people that I have met that the majority of them do not feel the same way. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's part of why you know, we came together because we're like, hey, another person that actually likes to think hard about stuff and, and beat on ideas. Um, And I don't think that's the norm, and I don't think it would be reasonable to expect Mm -hmm. that to be the norm. Um, That being said, um, hopefully anybody who does resonate with that will be willing to speak up. Um, You know, we're trying to do our part to do exactly that.
0: Let us take a move on to um, Mr. Joe Biden's visit to Kenosha, Wisconsin, right, where (laughs) he— Yeah. Apparently was giving out scripts, scripts to or to read. some sort of
1: guidelines, yeah. I just <clears throat> watched
0: a short video um where I, I didn't I don't know if she gave her name, but a woman uh um stood up and basically was like, Someone gave me this script to read, but I think you need to hear the truth and yes, then she exactly. talked about um how angry people were and uh which is understandable given all of the things that have occurred, but uh, I don't personally have my, the intelligent thing that I would do is shake my head. That, that That's where I'm at with this is I'm just like, okay, like, this is just one of those things that this doesn't surprise me at all. Oh, no. I, I To me, it was- Assuming it's <clears throat> true. Like, assuming that it is true and this is what was happening. This is just another example to me of our government doing things that flabbergast, they don't even flabbergast me anymore. It's just- Absurd and ridiculous to me that, like, I feel like four years ago this would have been something that was so shocking, right? Or three years, or two years, or eight years ago, or fifteen people would have been like, "What?" But we're in an era right now where, like, this is like the thirtieth most important thing to deal with, dude. You know, you know what was shocking fifteen years ago? Hmm. Uh, Fox
1: News may not uh, may not be actual journalism. <laughs> I, I think they they call them talking points. And I I don't think they're telling the truth. That was news 15 years ago. Yeah. And uh, you know since then journalism has officially died. Um. Or or is 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 absolutely on life support. You know, folks like Matt Taibbi and you know they're they're making a good go of it. But. Uh yeah, corporate journalism is no more. Yeah yeah. So
0: so tell me some of your thoughts about. that whole scenario, that whole situation. What's uh, what's kind of going on in your head about it?
1: I, I agree with I agree with the the, uh, the relevance of it, uh, same as you. But I, I find it satisfying to hear evidence of what we assume was true. To be like, yeah, you know, I, I, re- I figured that you know these town halls and stuff, they're not super legit. They're, sure. You know, yeah, they're giving their own talking points. Um, to to see evidence of that is it very slightly clarifies the picture that much more of, of how you know, corrupt the whole thing is. It's not surprising in any way, um, but it is satisfying to get a piece of good evidence. Um, similar to what recently came out, the um, audio recordings that Bob Woodward has of <clears throat> Trump acknowledging <laughs> that he was aware of the coronavirus being airborne in February. Yeah. Uh, chose not to do anything about it. He admitted to playing it down so as to not to create a "quote unquote" panic. Yeah. Um, so the things that we have assumed, uh, he admitted to on tape. It's not revolutionary, but it's very satisfying to hear him admit to it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I have no illusions that he'll be held accountable for it. It it may, it may be, you know, slightly politically disadvantageous, but he'll call it fake news and move on.
0: Yeah. So I have a couple of things on this one. Uh, I'll keep the first part short, but I'm not entirely sold yet that he should, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't necessarily blame him for not telling people. Personally, I would prefer to have told people the truth. I would have done it I think it's, I mean, it's hard to say if I was president when I've told the truth right but I would have preferred the truth myself and so I don't like that he didn't tell people the truth that's upsetting to me as you know a, a member of this country and as a voter and, and whatnot but I would imagine that there are hundreds if not thousands of things that have gone on over the history of this country that the president has learned about and not told the country about for the specific reason of not wanting to incite a panic.
1: Did they unnecessarily uh, cost 50 to 70,000 lives? And so
0: that's where the problem is, is it's like, okay, so that's kind of where I teeter, is like, well, at what point did what he said, at what point did his not walking back that narrative and changing his tone actually lead to lives? And that I think he's responsible for. But I don't think that the initial, it's not as bad as you think, There's a difference for me because initially I can understand, like, I don't want to create a panic, but once you realize that it's not going the way it should, and that you need to, like, say, look, it's actually a big issue. Now, it could be wrong on that. I'm willing to listen to arguments where the proper thing to do is just say, this is a big fucking problem. Everyone stay inside. Because honestly, what we probably should have done is locked down for six weeks completely. Yep. Had we done that for all of February and early March, this probably wouldn't be an issue. And we'd be rolling right after this. We'd be able to do jujitsu, yep. but And that's hindsight, though. And Now, apparently for Trump, maybe that wasn't hindsight. I don't know. And so there's a lot of moving parts there. But it isn't clear to me that just the act of not telling the general public something that very much would freak a whole hell of a lot of people out, he should be necessarily accountable versus telling. Like, that's a hard—that's his job. And that's what he's signed up for, roughly speaking, by running for president. But— it's, it's hard for me to just cast the stone and say, you should have obviously done the other thing. Like, a lot of people died. It's like, at the time, he may not have known that. I would venture to say, <clears throat> only
1: based on what he has presented mm-hmm. over the last four years, what he has actually done by the facts, not by what he says, not by what anybody else says, but if you just look at a list of what has happened, that that is not his interest in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. He admitted on tape that it was way more deadly than the flu. I uh, said, so, you know, they're talking 5% instead of 1% or under 1%, meaning uh, of everybody that gets yeah. it with the flu, one or slightly under 1% will be fatal. And coronavirus at that time, they were looking at 5%. Didn't work, didn't turn out to be that, but that was the assumption at that point. So he knew sure. this at least five times more deadly than the flu, mm-hmm. which kills a ton of people every year. Yep, yep. So we knew that. And it makes me wonder, well, why wouldn't he want to uh, create a panic, so to speak? And based on his track record, again, just the facts, it is because it would negatively impact the stock market. And that's it. Sure. Whereas if someone, if you look back to, say, FDR, um, or even I'll give Obama some credit, I disagree with a lot of stuff that happened there, but he seemed like a good guy. Um, If he was to make that call... I may give him the benefit of the doubt, like, hey, I need to hear more. What was the reason? How bad would this panic have been? Yeah. Like, okay, that's that's a talk worth having. I don't believe that's where Trump is coming from at all. Yeah, um, and not not just because I'm a you know never Trumper or something like that. I think he, regardless of your politics, uh, this cat shouldn't be running shit. It seems so simple. No matter what side of the the aisle you're on, yeah, um, this fucking guy is he's a gangster in the White House. Sure, sure. Dr. West had it right. Um, so yeah, I, I can't give him the benefit of the
0: doubt on that. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's tough though. Cause like, like I said, it, for me, the biggest issue is okay. You're faced with this knowledge and you know that if you, things are early, the actual data you have is not a lot, but it doesn't look good. Do you go out there and tell the truth and say, look, this is what we're looking at. Well, do you do what you, what, Tell the truth, but do it in the way that Trump would do it. Let's say, and then hopefully, like, I mean, people panicked. Anyways, oh yeah, and so like, ima- the toilet paper scare. Yeah, well, like, imagine if that's worse. Like, and this is where my mind goes. And like I said, I'm, I'm not saying that what my what I'm trying to explain is actually correct. Like I don't know exactly what the right way to handle this would be. Right. All I'm saying is that it isn't as simple as there's been a lot of deaths, therefore he's wrong. I, I think I, I think that that's no. There's more to it than that. Absolutely. He's responsible for some <clears throat> things, and he's done some things very poorly. And I think he should be called on that. But just to say, you knew this and lied about it. A lot of people died. Therefore, it's your fault. And there's no, nothing else like that. That's where I draw the line. Where there's a little bit more to it than that. And so it's like, what if he says it? And maybe I'm just giving him too much credit. I don't know, but what if he says it, And instead of the toilet paper shortage that we see and the hysteria that came with that, we see something that's infinitely worse. We see a bunch of people who can't get toilet paper and are freaked out, and there's a high death rate. At one point in Washington, it was like twelve percent. boy, what if that led
1: to like I don't know riots in the that, streets? that that's
0: my point is like what if not even just riots? What if it was legitimate <laughs> we vi- there already. Yeah, vigilantism. Six, you know, A couple months early. And then it's like, okay, now... Are we was, still talking about March? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so it's like, at that point, to avoid... It, where's the line where you want to avoid that? And then something bad still happens that makes sense. <clears> now, yeah. where I do think that there's the issue is when he realized maybe a month, two months later that it, this isn't going as well as it should have. We should have clamped down. That's when you do that in March, April. You say, you know what? I fucked up. Or... Fauci fucked up or Obama fucked up, whatever it is you want to say, because he he probably would just do that, but um, blame someone who's not even part of the problem. And then it's their fault, they're sorry, but now we're gonna fix it and we're gonna lock down. It's too late for that now hmm. And so it, by, by
1: every account, you know, Trump is, is completely self-serving and entirely yes. was focused on his reelection during this whole yes. thing. And I, I, I look back to a guy named Jim Rohn, who's a, a business coach and, and stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> he makes this great point of people getting all upset um, about about liars, people that lie and say, well, you know, liars shouldn't lie. Well, of course they should lie. That's why we call them liars. And it's it's you know, it's kinda like the tale of the frog and the scorpion. Like yes. yeah, Trump is a self serving liar. He's proven that. So what would you expect a self serving liar to do? So to me it's um other than the intellectual exercise of discussing what should or should not be done, mm-hmm. this motherfucker ain't gonna do it. So, uh in in you know, for the the current situation. Um, maybe we we save that discussion for a later time because it's definitely not going to have any effect yeah. on what he's actually going to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have zero reason to believe he would ever do the right thing because it's right only because it would benefit him. And if it happens to be right as well and a good thing, then we got lucky. That's right, ex-
0: exactly. <clears throat> and, and so to tie kind of this to um, this reminds me of two things. One is kind of it to what Kamala did when uh, um, we're talking about it at the the top of the podcast, the withholding of the truth for political favor, political gain, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Or throwing throwing shade or skepticism on an issue. Like there's a little bit of a difference there, but what they're both doing is they're both making decisions that are arguably wrong or at least untruthful to the public that they serve for the purposes of some sort of political gain in the future. And that's a problem right and um that actually brings me to um unless you have more to say i was going to move on to something no, something that biden actually said in um in one of the town halls he was in he said quite a few things um i'll i'll go over one and then we can talk about one of, one of the things that was kind of silly but um this is a quote from him it's not the whole quote but it's part of it it's people fear that which is different for example why in god's name do we not teach history in history class um, <laughs> he didn't really qualify this with anything. He just kind of said this and they didn't like give an example of like what he meant. It's kind of clear yeah, what he means. Like,
1: yeah, yeah. This was, this was awkward. I think I know the the clip you're talking yeah, about. Um, yeah.
0: Now <clears throat> this kind of reminded me a little bit of what I was just mentioning about what Trump was doing and what Kamala both did in that um, in all these cases, it, maybe not Trump's case, cause he's much more of a self-server than he is um, an empathetic individual looking out for people. But it, um, there's a hiding the truth in an attempt to help the people. Because he did mention, he's like, I didn't want to incite a panic. And I think that that might actually be true. Mm-hmm. He probably wanted the market to not crash, and there was like self-serving things, but he also didn't want a panic to occur. And so there's a, like a willful hiding of the truth to protect people. And... That I see as a problem, right? Kamala's doing the, she's not really doing the same thing there. I, I don't really see that as like hiding the truth. She's kind of pretty clear about what it is that she wants, but um, I did see a parallel there And it. It's uh, with how it works with history. Like I think Biden's point was that like, we've kind of whitewashed history and sort of left out a lot of the nastier bits of racism, mm-hmm. which does seem to be true. Um, Oh, hundred percent. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. That's, you could fact check that shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and
0: so, in both cases, you know, there's a, there's going to be a lot of reasons. Let's say why historians and and teachers have taught the things that they've taught about racism. Um, one of the reasons I think is I think it's this protection issue. It's this. This. It, I think it's actually partly an empathetic or a compassion issue of we don't want to ruin future generations with the bad shit that our ancestors did. There's more to it. Like I said, there there are more things. It isn't like, I think this is the biggest reason, but the two tied together for me in the respect that I think it seemed to me that it could be a willful ignorance of the truth so that people aren't hurt and all it does is hurt people because that's all it does in both yep. cases like more people just or i don't know if necessarily more died as a result of trump not saying anything versus if he would have inside a panic probably did but i don't know because it didn't happen but more the panic people, that is didn't happen yeah right yeah I, did Corona's yeah. still <laughs> corona's not real <laughs> <laughs> but um it's this notion that in an in an attempt to protect people from these horrors like we just end up doing more and more damage like look at where we are right now and the polar issues that we're up against and it's like this, I do feel that if generations were given the benefit of the doubt that they could understand and deal with the truths that our country, that our country holds, whether good or bad, we may not be in this position right now. I, yeah, I agree 100%, <laughs> yep. And it's like... Hold people as able to
1: handle the truth. Yes. Um, most people are adults. And they they can handle the truth. I get the impulse, though. I will, I will offer that on a personal level.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I know a lot of parents have the instinct to hide their fighting or whatever bad stuff is going on from their kids to, quote-unquote, protect their kids. And in a lot of cases, I believe that to be effective. I, I found out as an adult some of the shit that went on when I was a kid, um, and I already knew how crappy it was, yeah. but finding out some of the other stuff that I didn't know about at the time would have made it worse and may very well have sent me careening down uh, you know a, a very shortly terminating path in my life debtor yes. in jail kind of thing um I was close enough without it but had I had that information I very well might have made some really poor decisions so that was I I personally benefit from that yeah um and the, it was you know, my sister had to you know take on the weight of that until we were adults and she kind of shared some of that with me um and she did that cuz she loves me i get that uh but on a societal level it's different yeah you owe the society the truth you know it's not just your kids this is everybody these are adults that you need to give them the opportunity to decide on how they feel about these facts themselves yeah so, so I think that's where the difference lies and, and kind of where the instinct comes from. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you want to sh- you shelter your kids, um, which has gotten out of control, but, you know, <laughs> helicopter parenting and whatnot, um, but there's a reasonable instinct. But at a societal level, it's just uh, ineffective and bad policy.
0: Well, no, very true. And so um, I'll go through a couple of ideas that this kind of came to mind. Um, when I was thinking through this idea of like how history has not been taught or how it's been taught has been sort of, let's say whitewashed or softened to some degree. The Did actu- you learn about Tulsa
1: and Black Wall Street?
0: No, I sure didn't. No, there's a lot of things that it, I didn't yeah. learn about communism until I was like 28. <laughs> like I'm not even joking. Yeah. Um, I had, a, I had actually, um, I was talking to my, uh, my girlfriend and her family about this, um, about communism and other things, but, I didn't realize till I was in my late twenties that uh, one of my um, one of the kids I went to school with um, he used to he dressed up as Chairman Mao for Halloween. He was an Asian kid, yeah. and people used to call him Chairman Mao because it was a good costume, and so the, the nickname just kind of stuck. <laughs> and I, I actually just thought people he wanted to be called that because it was funny, and it was I didn't I didn't know who Chairman Mao was. Gotcha. I thought people were just calling him that because he's asian <laughs> i was like okay like it's a little racist but like okay whatever you know like if, if he's fine with it it was his idea like i'm sure you know, yeah. whatever and then i found out like 10 years later that it, it was actually like someone who was responsible for roughly 100 million deaths and i was like oh <laughs> 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 then it's like darkly funny and and <laughs> fucked up but anyways i digress so um <laughs> So I'm like thinking through this whole thing, this whole idea about uh, history and and kind of how it's been softened. And, you know, we've seen this throughout a lot of other countries. Like Germany does this when it comes to the Holocaust. And it's like, no wonder, because it's terrifying. But um, the first thing that actually came to mind for me was white fragility. Not the book, but like what it means. I like, and the reason is because for generations we have as a culture not actually... I think legitimately talked about the horrific history of our country. We've kind of softened it. Mm, And so then you have a bunch of white people who aren't taught about how bad history actually was. And then they're fragile to it. Like, and I was like, maybe that's what Robin D'Angelo should have actually written about, not about how we can't talk about race. And then we have all these things about it. And I don't want to talk about it. So I run away or cry or whatever. It's like, maybe we're a little fragile because we weren't, we had helicopter parents who didn't expose us to the horrors of the world. And so when we get thrown out into it, we're like, holy shit. Like, th- that's what came to my mind. and It's like, it's its like a, it's like almost a redefinition, but it makes more sense to me in that I think that there is a little bit of truth to the concept that a lot of white people just don't know what it's like to actually be black. Oh, dude, well,
1: yeah. and first you, of all, of course, and but I, yeah. I agree with that. I, I agree with the, the sentiment of that as well, um, particularly from my own experience. Sure. Um, and, and yeah, It's it's, To me, white fragility addresses the instinct to think that it's not that bad if you don't know how bad it really is. Sure. Meaning, as a uh, standard-issue white guy moving through the world, I see that we got a two-term black president. We see lots of black folks on TV. Dave Chappelle's the greatest comedian in the world right now. Absolutely. Blacks are
0: doing great. Yeah.
1: So it it seems like we are almost post-racial. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, and we never see anything different. And it wasn't until I got into a relationship with a black woman that um, I, I got a, a closer inside look to what it is to move through America with dark skin. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, crap. It's a little different. And, and there are things that I was able to uh, spot when I was um informed that this is what to look for like oh shit that person really is following us or giving a look like okay okay and then understanding that uh every day if you've got black skin this is how you move through the world Mm -hmm. therefore um you're going to experience a lot of things that no other white person will witness because a lot of it's going to happen just you know one-on-one or when you are the only Mm -hmm. meaning the only black or brown person uh, in the interaction so there's you know, nobody to bear witness as to what happened. And what does happen with that is a lot of times if the, if the black person is typically the only, meaning the only black person in the room, which is very common for a lot of black folks, if you are the only, you have inevitably tried to explain some of this to a white person. Yeah. And the white person inevitably thought, no, nah, it's not that bad, and tried to play it down. Um, because we didn't know sure so for me i absolutely own up to the fragility part of that when i finally wrap my head around that and like oh fuck yeah i'm guilty of that Mm -hmm. i tried to blow it off because it is hard to deal with mentally it's like oh, that's that's ugly no it's not that bad come on Ah, be happy um so it's a tough pill to swallow sure but i believe it's one that we should um But to extrapolate from that that every white person is a racist and can never be fixed, um, that is where this thing is is bastardized to a point that it not only mutes the importance of the message, but it goes against the importance of the message. It will not bring people together. It will only push them apart. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most divisive things you could possibly say to a human being. And it.
0: Well, it is racial essentialism.
1: Exactly. And I think at its core, it denies each individual human being their humanity, meaning uh, you, Bo, don't matter because you're a white body. So fuck you, Bo, you got to do white body shit. A
0: racist white body shit. Right. Let's not forget Exactly. And I'm a dude, so that's worse.
1: Exactly. So your responsibility as a living organism Mm -hmm. is not to be a person. No, fuck you as a person. You are first and foremost a whatever body. And that's where you are obligated to align with and behave in such a manner that furthers the cause of your group. Um, and that, that dehumanizes everybody, and what happens when you dehumanize everybody is it becomes incredibly easy to oppress those people. Yeah. Allah, China, Allah, the USSR. Mm-hmm. When you know you you make the claims of we are striving for this utopia. Uh, well, okay, who's going to run shit? We got to figure out the the mail and the railroads and grocery stores. Who's going to do that? People. Okay. <laughs> Well, if you're dehumanizing everybody, first of all, you get rid of all the incentives, so nobody's Mm. going to want to strive to do anything. And the people that, for whatever reason, um, are in the positions of power to actually do the running of shit are going to be uh, universally susceptible to corruption. Yes. These are historical facts. This is not a theory. This is just what happens. We've seen it before, and it will absolutely happen again if this ideology... It uh, yes. gets a deep enough foothold in this country or what's left of this country. No,
0: and I, and I agree. And <clears throat> I, I think that it's the extrapolation that she makes. And like I said, we'll touch on this more when we go over her book. But it it's a, just another example of identifying a problem or an issue or something and then running with aiming the wrong direction and fi- pulling the trigger. Yeah. It's like, okay, like, sure. Like, there's 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 going to be a lot of reasons for why white people, let's say, maybe quote, end fragile about race, race related things, mm-hmm. right? Some of those are just genuine ignorance. Some of those are actual racism. Some of those are not even racial ignorance. It's just, you, you just don't know because you're a person who doesn't know a lot in the world, but the person you're dealing with has had to explain this multiple times. So like you're the asshole, like I mean, there's, there's, and there's others I'm sure as well, but to just run with that and say, okay, well, everyone, now you're racist and you must atone for all of this American sin that's been perpetuated for 500 years. Good luck.
1: It defeats the purpose. I it I mean, does. It, it pisses me off as a white person that does wanna see equality of opportunity for black people and everybody, um, in that, you know, like I said, the, the, the concept of white fragility, I think, is a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's an important thing. Because there is an exhaustion that happens yes. when you, day in, day out, try to fucking explain to white people what it's really like to walk around in dark skin. Sure. And they're not hearing it. Yeah. And eventually you're just like, whatever. Um, that's that's pretty reasonable. I can see how, how that would happen. So to me, doing the work yeah. is, uh, yo, go read some fucking books. Because the black community has been writing wonderful literature on this very topic for decades yeah so the work is go catch up on some history to me that's the work um don't don't ask your one black friend to explain all this to you uh yeah that's kind of rude i i I see that now Mm -hmm. and i also understand the impulse to like oh hey well you know i like james i'm gonna go ask james james what's this all about Well, James has tried to been fucking explaining this for the last 20 years with precisely zero uh, effect in his life. So James doesn't want to do that shit anymore. James is tired. Yeah. Uh, I get that. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. That's fair. (laughs) I can go read some books. Um, And and to me, that particular part of the message is going to absolutely be lost. Mm -hmm. Therefore, um, nobody is going to do what I consider the real work. Um, except for a small group that are willing to buy into this all hook, line, and sinker. And for them, the work is not going to be seeking truth. It's going to be following this ideology and marching in whatever direction they deem appropriate without Mm -hmm. any of their own critical thought.
0: Yes, right, exactly. And again, that's where I, I come back to the personal responsibility of it of. I agree with the problems, but not how to solve those problems. So I'm more... I read a crap ton. Right now I'm enjoying some reading. I'm reading Harry Potter. It's been a lot of fun. Um, a lot of critical words in that book, in those <laughs> books. But because um, I haven't read them all the way through from book one to seven in a long time. But So wait, you didn't cancel Rowling? No.
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> what kind of SJW are you, man?
0: Right, exactly. Um, I don't know enough about whatever the issue is that she's issues. I think it's been multiple that she's been... Um, accused of both with what she said and then what the problem seems to be to comment on whether or not the problem, I did read her essay that she wrote after she was canceled for saying that women are women. Um, and it's pretty controversial, man. Biology is real. How dare she? Yeah. And then roughly speaking, (laughs) it sounds like that trans women are not women. Um, I said, I don't know enough about the, what the actual argument is there. Um, science yeah let's take a look at your gametes. like, said, like said, I read what's your a, chromosome situation yeah. I, I read her her essay and was like, okay, this is fine um, it also seems to me on a very this is about the most intelligent I can get with this if trans women are women I don't understand why we have the phrase trans women excellent point like it, it's obviously more complicated than yeah. that, but like that's where I that's that's what I don't understand is it's like okay so we and I'm fine with having the breakdown of trans men and trans women—I don't care. They would probably argue, "Yeah, you tell them yeah, it should it, just be women." It's sure. just like, yeah.
1: um, but, no. but it was for a There's very some long important time. Distinctions, yeah,
0: but it was for a very long time, and there seems to be a problem with that. And so, we've, as a society, been like, "Well, we're going to include the trans community. Great, no problem. Uh, totally fine with that." But now it seems like it's the opposite. And like I said again, I don't know a lot about this. So to me, what it seems like is, for a very long time, we have men and women, and then everyone else that we don't like the trans community called whatever it's been called over the years, the gay community, got, okay, you yeah, know, I and got then, then historically it. that's been bad right, and right, then right. heterosexuality has been good. Men and women are fine. There's the well, normies well, and the freaks. Yeah, sure, sure, exactly. Exactly. And so then finally we wake up as a culture and we're like, well, it's really not that big of a deal because it's not a big fucking deal. I don't care what people, I don't care what body parts they have or don't have. I don't care who they like. I don't care who, how they feel. I don't, do you. And live your life yeah like, it's maybe harder it maybe easier it doesn't matter like
1: it sucks right? now granted if you're going to get into a cage and try and pummel someone else's face
0: we do need to know we what your testosterone to,
1: yeah. situation sure. was in puberty
0: totally totally That's fine important yeah, and no, valid no no, very very true but yeah. and so <clears throat> you go from this what you say the normies and the freaks right something to that effect uh, um i don't want to generalize too much so I don't necessarily consider the individuals freaks but i know that um I, I, I
1: offered that way because that was the th- old. That's kind of how it was looked at. Yeah. Sure,
0: it, it, right, exactly. And so then we include in the cultural vernacular um, the trans community, say the gay community, the LGBTQ. Um, they got more letters now. Ia Two Spirit. There you go. There you Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what a lot of them mean, but whatever the case, we're you know making space for that for them. And so we have trans women and trans men, and now trans women want to be just women, which see. So like, I don't understand why that's not a regression. That, that's that's the problem having it's like well well, I think prior, do you, or do you want to be both? do you want to be both women and trans women Because those those are supposed to be different things, and that's that's fine they should be different, however, I don't understand why I think prior they weren't recognized as women
1: prior they were other they were freaks,
0: sure, so they're getting recognized at all. that's a good step, and then they want to go from trans women recognized to women is Right. Recognized. okay right. yeah, yeah, and like i said i <clears throat> I'm wolf or ignorant on this, and so. Probably all of what I'm saying is offensive in some way, unfortunately. But um, that would—that's the confusion that I initially had. It was like, well, if they want to, why do we have trans women if they want to be women? Then they would just be women and not trans women. Or are they— are they trying to be both? And then we should figure that out. Like, and then there's the fighting issue, which is and, and other sports and, and other I mean, sports. They're, but they're fighting's p- the, the big thing because yeah. the, the physical differences with like. Um, upper body strength, hand size. And the
1: goal uh, is to literally fuck somebody up. Yeah. And so, so like, physical advantages make puberty, a difference. Puberty, like
0: yeah. m- testosterone filled puberty. Like there, there, there's, there's some legitimate issues there. Um, that can cause problems, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, actually lost my train of thought once we got on the <laughs> really. Oh, it's reading what? Harry Potter. So reading, I'm reading through a large number of books that, um, are mostly, you're going to find on academic, you're going to find on lists for classes in critical race theory and mm. queer theory and um, women and gender studies, the, the kinds of work that everyone is saying you need to do. Right, it's right, all this right. stuff. And so um
1: how not to be racist. I read that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: is it, that's the Ibram X. Kendi.
1: No. So you want to talk about race. So sorry. So you want to talk okay. about race. Um I think I've got Uh, how to be anti-racist and white fragility in my audible catalog right now my
0: goal is to go through because i'm actually (coughs) genuinely curious in this stuff and um while i may disagree with the direction that this ideology is going um i see i see a lot of things in it that are I, i do believe will turn out very very bad that doesn't mean that the problems that they're bringing up are not wrong. like They're they're like legitimate fucking problems. It's like, I just don't agree with how they're going about doing it. I don't understand why telling an entire (coughs) race of people that not only are they, but everyone that they know and love and was related to and was ancestrally related to is racist based on their melanin. I don't know how that's not divisive and going to cause a lot of fucking problems. Like, I actually... That's the point, though. Yeah, I know. That's the thing is it's like... Literally from a postmodern standpoint. Yeah, it is. it, it is, is, is. to agitate. But I don't get how that's good. Like, I don't understand how people can be like, oh, this is a great thing. All white people are going to feel great because they can finally, you know, claim their racism but not be absolved of it. And all black people are just going to love the fact that all whites now know that they're racist and acknowledge it. It's like, I'm sure mm-hmm. that neither are happy about this. I couldn't imagine being the one black person in a group of friends and they've all read White Fragility and all these other books. And they walk in and they're like, fuck. Everyone thinks they're racist now. This but it's is on gonna, eggshells, Like, yes. this is going to be weird as shit. <clears throat> yep. And then all the white people are like, fuck. You know, she knows, that he, they know I'm, the, my black friend knows I'm racist now. Do they even want to be friends with me? And it. Yeah. Or like, can I say anything? Is it going to be racist? Like, like, the whole thing fucking weird, man. You know, what if I say, what's up, brother? Like, is that racist? You know, and then it just goes down the line. And it's like, now everything you say, is like, oh, crap, I'm racist. I'm racist. And maybe I'm being hyperbolic about it. But so is everybody else. Like, you're not, you're, that's not inaccurate. I, yeah,
1: and so it's that's like, the tone
0: of the country I right now. I feel like there might be a better way to <clears throat> handle this situation. One is- There's probably a hundred better, yeah, better ways. Yeah, probably. And it's like, okay, does that mean that like the black community doesn't have issues and that we need to resolve them and that there are people who are racist against blacks and and that's a problem or against Hispanics and other people of color, the BIPOC community, Asians, whatever. It's like, no, that stuff happens but why don't we, people should learn more anyways. So th- people should just continue to read and learn shit. So let's just do that first. And let's just try and be genuine to each other. Like be truthful.
1: I, I, I think you know? the,
0: one of the important
1: um, hinging points or pivoting points of this is, is the uh, postmodern framework that everything is looked at from the lens of power. Not humanity, Mm -hmm. not loving your neighbor, not making the best we can with our situation, none of that. Everything is power. Everything needs to be fought. Dude, the initial postmodernists, from what I understand, I'm just starting to learn on this, um, were very nihilistic. Yeah. Let's not use nihilists for the creation of policy. Yeah. That, That doesn't have a good future. That doesn't have any future, kind of by definition. They want to tear it all down, and then they're done. Yes. What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> so uh, that that should not be um, given anywhere near the credence that it has. Not to say that there aren't you know some uh, ideas worth yeah. exploring in there, but as a philosophy and particularly as a uh, a component to the current social justice warrior, critical race theory. Uh, I think we figured to call it the woke movement. The the current uh, invocation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, its its only goal is destruction, and they feel it's justified, and they can make a case that will convince a, strong, a lot of they people. Can make a strong case. Yeah, but the end result is going to make it worse for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they if they think they can uh, politically just shift wealth to black and brown bodies, yeah, that's fucking ridiculous. If, on the other hand, we see that there are expenditures in place that are not as valuable, and if we look at not only the racial component, but what I believe is more important, the class component, as it turns out, the black community typically ends up to be in poorer communities, poorer communities tend to facilitate more crime. Mm -hmm. Uh, More crime facilitates more police, more police exposure to black people doing crime facilitates a prejudice towards black people because day in, day out, that those are the neighborhoods that they have to patrol. And the most memorable things, meaning arrests, shootings, all of that, just so happened to happen with people with darker skin. Um, <clears throat> these are all things that play on human nature in a way that give us exactly what we're looking at. So if we can, if we can understand that yes. and, and um, comment that from a, uh, an end goal of unity... Well, how do we just make this better for everybody? Like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to, to learn more about this. I realize I've been ignorant on a lot of things. I want us to come together. Um, so, you know, like how Sam Harris puts it, that the color of your skin should be as important as the color of your hair, the color of your eyes. Like, let's just come together as people. Let's figure this out. We've got some really fucked up communities mm-hmm. that happen to have, uh, you know, mostly black and brown folks in them. How can we help those communities to have more opportunity? Get rid of the gerrymandering. Get rid of the redlining. You know, all of these things, all the things that really are structural racism that facilitate the separation of classes and sure. the maintenance of, you know, and, and really the oppression of those classes that just so happen to be predominantly black and brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a much more constructive and effective, effective way to go about it to actually get positive change for everybody versus just trying to split everybody up and go to civil war. <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Why the fuck would you want to do that?
0: No, no. Very, very true. <clears throat> um, so I want to posit a theory that's, uh, that's, that's tangentially related. It's, it's still kind of has to do with what uh, um, Biden said about history. But um, he said, uh, let me pull it up here. People fear what is different. For example, why in God's name do we not teach history in history class? Now, I actually agree with that entire statement as it stands by itself. It seems as if he is comparing, it seems as if he is saying, just based on that, those two sentences alone, that we as a culture teach history the way that we do because white people fear black people. That's the impression that I get from that because whites, blacks are different, well, history is written by the winners. So. Sure, exactly, and so um, that, that and he may he may have meant something different than that, but just that statement on its own, because he kind of threw it out there, like it, it, like I said, there wasn't really a qualifier to it. And I think so,
1: one of my challenges with buying, apologies to cut you off. No, is that's fine. I find that he is one of those types of people, or it seems to be recently, that he will throw out what maybe um, common understandings or shorthands within his crowd of people. But when he's speaking in public, it doesn't really make sense. Yes, Like if we, you know, if we have inside jujitsu references and if we're out in public somewhere and I, you know, I can make that reference or I can say, you know, sweep the leg Johnny and people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? But it makes sense because we have that reference. It seems like he's doing that same thing. I think I kind of get, you know, why don't we teach history? Um, but you really need to go into more detail, like the absence of, you know, the the Tulsa riots, yeah. Um, the <laughs> trying to say that the Civil War was not about slavery and, and just all this other stuff. But it's important to point that out mm-hmm. um, rather than just jumping to the shorthand that you could, if you've already had that conversation with people, yeah, right. Um, and I think that's uh, he should know better. Uh, you know, a lifelong politician. If you're speaking in public, yeah that's just not effective. So that that's just something that struck me mm-hmm. that he's he's it always bugs me when people do that when they're trying to share their inside jokes in the public. It's like Well they leave yeah.
0: stuff out like I said
1: exactly. important details out.
0: Yeah, the part that con, the part that I that confuses me or that I disagree with is is the first sentence that people fear what that which is different. I don't disagree with that by itself. Right. Like that's tribalism. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, the, he's like describing tribalism which has existed for thousands upon millions of years by not just humans, but other primates. So Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's right. And then the other true statement is, why in God's name do we not teach history in history class? Also, that's a valid question. But you put those two together, and the only conclusion I can draw is that what he is, because what he's saying is that he's in Kenosha after some people died, like a lot of race issues going on. The only conclusion I can draw is that history is the way, it's taught the way it is because white people are afraid of black people. And I actually don't, if that's what he means, I don't agree with that statement. I don't think that history is taught the way it is because whites are blacks. I think that, I go back to the helicopter parenting. I think one of many factors is that um, it's, I think part of it is compassion and empathy. And I, I think that uh, we are talking about like the desire to protect future generations from the pain of what happened. Because it, it's painful. It really is fucking painful. And so then we, you know, we, we go through the, uh, the white fragility, potentially like all, all that kind of stuff and this helicopter parenting. And so this, this leads me to my theory. And um, we've talked a little bit before personally, I think we might have on our last <coughs> podcast about um, the, the devouring mother, the, the, the psychological archetype of the devouring mother, the mother who shelters, um, you know, if don't leave, I have everything you need. Kid mm-hmm. leave, something bad happens because the world's bad, comes back and she's like, see you stay here, I'll, I'll protect you and I'll shelter you. Um, kind of the opposite of that is the tyrannical father, which is to say the, it's the um, the crushing weight of society because society is brutal, whether it's oppressive and systemically racist on one end or it's just it just competitive and hard on the other let's say if we want to get a political the natural body. world yeah the natural like, nature is brutal well, Nature's so, metal so, so I, i'm this is separate from nature i'm i'm thinking specifically culture well
1: like, i'm just saying like at a, yeah. at a core level which Very culture true. comes from correct because um, it, it, it's yeah. birthed from brutality from, is from natural. the ashes you know culture
0: is birthed from the ashes of nature yeah right and also from the ashes of its own of its own dead forefathers right so as culture dies it has to be revivified by future generations otherwise it becomes tyrannical naturally and so you have the tyrannical father that kind of crushes people down you get people who are beat up by culture and then they retreat and that's when you get bad things or you know people maybe go off on their own and live on their own or they say fuck the world and they flip the board up that's when you get anarchy right so here's my theory my theory is that this attempt at protection has created this schism culturally on one side, you have sheltered white people who are forever protected by the devouring mother, the mother who won't let go and wants to shield them from all the pain in the world. And they don't actually grow up to become fully functioning adults. And I don't mean that like literally like white people aren't fully functioning adults. But that's kind of how the archetype runs, right? Is that you're not fully exposed to the horrors of the world. You're forever protected. But on the other side, you have that black community, which is laid barren, Laid bare in a barren wasteland with little to no protection because they have all of the realities of this oppression Among other things and they're being crushed by the weight of society which would be the tyrannical father because They've been told the truth and there's this schism because neither talk to each other Because one is overprotective and one is dying from the weight of what a rotted culture over time Has kind of that they're stuck with does that make sense?
1: It does that's an interesting perspective and so
0: I want to make a distinction here a very clear distinction i'm not suggesting that the entirety of our culture is systemically oppressive and racist and deserves to be taken down because i don't think that that's true i think that there is systemic issues in as much as corporations and parts of the go i i don't know i don't like the term systemic here i think that there are actual issues that are, are fracturing our culture and our you know um and our society and our government and the things that are within it that actually is a real thing. But to the extent that it's systemic, I'm not, I'm not convinced of that Um, mostly because I, I, I don't know how to be convinced. I don't know what is necessary to convince me of that. That's the first thing. Okay. Um, the second thing is that society is always to some degree going to crush people because society is hard, whether it's based on power and oppression or it's based on competence and meritocracy. Society is hard for and it's unequally distributed that's why we have inequality so for the people who do really well because they're competent they're smart they're powerful they lie they cheat they're sociopathic they have money whoever is at top there's probably more reasons people would get at top life is good but for everyone who's at the bottom all the homeless underprivileged communities with no money people who are turning to be say drug dealers who that's the best thing that they can do and they make more money doing that than that than getting like quote, unquote, a real job that pays shit wages. Sure. like That's oppressive to them in that respect in that it, it pushes them down to the bottom of the barrel. That's how society is. That's how all societies are, regardless of whether you try to have equity, equality of outcome, or equality of opportunity, you will have that. And there, the counter to that cannot be the devouring mother. It can't be the other half of this society is sheltered and carried away in loving arms and never able to grow. You need to have the good king, right? You need to have Mufasa to Scar and Lion King, right? You need to have someone who say, needs to say, hey, okay, this is bad. We have to fix it, but we have to talk and communicate and find a way past this. Does that make sense? And so anyway, that was the theory. I was, uh, I um, kind of went off on a tangent there, but... Uh, that- <laughs> All
1: good. Um, see if I can remember. So in in addressing <clears throat> kind of the current social situation, you touched on, uh, not teaching history and um, the the helicopter parenting devouring mother. I think that um, the the helicopter parenting devouring mother model is is absolutely a piece of it, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's a matter of um, self and family interest. You want to do best for your kids, and you think that's the best way to go. And yes. you know, I guess as, as I gave an example, it actually was beneficial in certain respects in my life. So I can kind of get that, and that's not super healthy, where history being taught, I think, is less to do with that and more to do with um, who is deciding and approving what gets taught in the schools, meaning the individual teachers have very little say what they teach. From districts, yes. Right. And as the organization grows larger, meaning school districts to national school boards, then politics becomes more and more important, and you get these different political drivers that we don't want mm-hmm. the party to look bad, or it's going to reflect poorly on this, that, or the other. Um, and there's there's a whitewashing from a political stance sure. that I think is a bigger driver than personally wanting to you know protect the kids uh, in terms of what gets taught in schools. Um, and then where we go from that? So uh, there was.
0: I'll, I'll read my theory again. Okay. I'll read it through. And uh, so, this attempt at protection that I'm arguing for has created a cultural schism. On one side, you have sheltered white people, forever protected by the devouring mother, and on the other side, you have the black community laid bare in a barren wasteland, with little to no protection, being crushed by the weight of the tyrannical father. And then, to be clear, there the tyrannical father is actually culture. Like that—that's what that uh, belief psychologically represents. And then. Broadly speaking, the devouring mother is going to represent nature as does the mother generally. Generally you have the mother, that's why you have mother nature right. Um most specifically. And then culture is generally represented as masculine. And from both you have the society that we create and so um
1: Sorry, I was just pondering that model. No, like uh, I said- It, it could it's, go different ways, but yeah, traditionally, that's the, the male, female- th- That's
0: traditionally how it's broken it's not, down, like, yeah, and there's yeah, ways yeah. to do it other um, way, th- to do it differently, but that's, that's typically how it, it comes about, and so um, it, just, it was just a, a thought that struck me that I was curious uh, uh, to throw on you before we ended to see what your thoughts were on it, too, because, I mean, culture is oppressive naturally, um, and it's going to Different cultures are going to. I would. Say, I, 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 people this is
1: why my brain keeps sticking. So sorry. Sure. No um, worries. Does it fit for your model to say society is crushing versus
0: culture? It's the same thing for me here.
1: Okay, for me, there's a distinction. Um, whereas culture is the individual flavor if you will of a certain group of people meaning your social traditions mm-hmm. the foods that you eat uh, and all that kind of stuff versus society which is just human beings trying to to figure it out and work together okay. and i again to me because because culture oftentimes is felt as a much more personal thing that i think um, should just be explored and celebrated and there's so many Cool cultures that you know, yes. people do stuff different. That's really awesome. Um, but then society as a way to structure things and how that affects the members of society—that's um, more okay. of a, a direct effect upon the people versus just the choices and the preferences and, and the flavors of how they want to do things. Uh, I think it's important to make that distinction. So
0: here's how I would clarify that on with what I'm my with how, how I'm thinking through the theory. The overarching culture of the U.S., so not the plurality of cultures, because there's multiple cultures. Right. That's one of the things that makes the U.S. great compared to a lot of other countries. Is that we have we allow for a plurality of cultures, but there is a meta culture that the U.S. is known for that other countries are not. Regardless of the different types of races and religions and creeds of people who live here, there's something about being an American.
1: Oh yeah, travel anywhere around the world. Exactly, if you're it, an it, American. Uh, it doesn't matter if
0: <laughs> if you're if you're any color, any race, any religion. Yeah, th- that's the culture that I'm talking about. And Then okay. it, 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 in and of itself. So let's America, say like American culture then. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But that, that you're right. That does seep into the society at large.
1: I would just hate for the uh, Cuban Americans to get upset or something. <laughs> like no, that. sure. Hey. No,
0: that's a good distinction. And so I, I was, uh, I was thinking of the tyrannical father more of the overarching American culture as however that is defined by, cause it'll pretty much be defined very similarly by most. The distinctions I see being, people who are for American culture will have a little bit more positive nature to it. And those who are against American culture and say just America in general, will think it's a little bit more oppressive, but it's still hard and it still crushes people. Sure. And it, I think you could make a very strong case or probably is actually true that it, that it does crush minorities More than it would the majority, and I mean that isn't necessarily just with the U.S. You find that pretty much everywhere the minority culture, the minority people in any country tend to have a harder time with the the prevailing culture. Like that's kind of how that works. Yeah, that's a problem. But and we have our own issues because of our plurality of you know cultures and societies in in our country. But um, but yeah. So did that help clarify? Yeah. Okay. Good. So tell me some thoughts. Tell me what you think. Oh man, I'm curious to kind of bounce this off because I, I I gave it about five ten minutes of thought, and then I did, did drive over here to do this, and so I wanted to kind of run that by. So specifically on the just the I, I'm curious how you feel about the schism between that I'm the line that I'm drawing between whites and blacks in our culture, and why, and if, and how tenable or non-tenable, it seems, if it's true. I, okay, so my thoughts would be- Or do you disagree entirely with how I'm classifying both white, the white and black communities in these psychological terms?
1: Uh, not entirely. I think that the main difference is, um, rather than black, white, it's more of a class difference. Meaning, okay. in order to shield and helicopter your child, that requires means. The more means that you have, the higher you are in society, middle class, upper middle class, uh, upper class, that you have more opportunity to do exactly that. On the flip side, if you are working two, three jobs just to keep food in the fridge and the rent paid, uh, and you got two kids that you're doing the best you can, and dad's long gone. They're going to see some shit. They're going to see some shit. Um, so, it, And it just so happens that the, uh, a larger proportion of the lower class people in America are black and brown. Um, but I think there are not the same, but similar effects to uh, someone growing up white in you know, lower class. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was definitely lower middle. We did food stamps. Uh, I am very familiar with the five pound brick of government cheese, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. Um, and I saw plenty of shit. Um, I I didn't have to face racism myself, so I definitely want to acknowledge that because that is absolutely one more thing uh, to contend with. That is not good. But um, I think that the the important differentiator is not specifically racial, but it is class. Mm -hmm. And if you have the means to take care of you and yours, you're going to do so. Um, And whether or not it's misguided, you may shelter them, from being exposed to certain nasty realities of the world, yes, um, and and that is going to create a divide, and it's going to create a lot of ignorance that may be tough to shed light on. Yes, if subconsciously someone who's been sheltered from that realizes that, look, if this is true, this is going to rock my world, and, and I don't even want to believe that, so I'm not. Yeah, I choose not to believe it. I'm I'm taking the blue pill. Um, I'm just going to pretend this never happened. And, uh, by the way, I, I want to be someone important when you stick me back in the matrix.
0: Oh, yeah, she, she's literally just thinking. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's a, that's a, you know, it's a self-defense mechanism sure. that uh, is going to happen with a lot of people, whether it's conscious or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but all but which to say, I mean, that's somewhat, that's semantics. I guess it's an important distinction to know, you know, what it is that you're aiming at, but the class difference uh, definitely is important. Um, and it's as, as old as people, you know, so it's definitely nothing new. We need to, uh, come together as thoughtful human beings and continue to try and work out the best way to, uh, level that playing field. But to start from a point of division, I don't think is the answer at all that that leads to civil war, which I'm not a fan of.
0: That I agree with. Um, I I do. I agree with that. And I I think your point about classism is interesting. I don't think we hear... There's been an intentionality with addressing the problems that we currently face as race and gender-based versus Mm class-based. We don't hear about class-based. And I think the reason we don't hear about class-based is because there was a lot of classist issues in the 20th century. And a shit ton of people died. So you can't talk about class issues when between Lenin, Stalin and Mao, somewhere between like 25 and 150 million people were killed. Right. Right, that's a huge error bar. But
1: Well, you could talk about it,
0: just but you're going to don't get, use socialism as the yeah, answer. Well, oh, try that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Multiple, like d- a dozen times, and so I think that that's partly why the switch was made is that well, let's talk about something a little bit different. And there's validity in talking about the inequities of race and gender, but there is. I I, I think um, there's an important distinction
1: that goes with the addition of um, transgender in that conversation mm-hmm. um, and you can say, you can say even uh, like gay, lesbian, and queer because you could potentially opt into that. Heather Hang made this point uh, made this point, and I, I agree with it, is there is a, you could call it a slippery slope or it's, it's, it's a concern for sure when you can opt in to the membership of a certain group um, if you've got a lot of melanin and you're dark, you don't get to take that off. You can't hide it. You can't be an in-the-closet black, right? No such thing.
0: Well, um, we'll get to that in a second.
1: Well, some rare light skin. My uncle's actually super light skinned, and he would qualify as that. But you know what I'm saying? If you're if you're black, black, then you can't yeah. hide it. Um, yeah, yeah no, however, I'll take that point. Yeah. Yeah. However, if the societal circumstances are such that... Um, there is an attempt to overcompensate for inequities, 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 <laughs> inequities <laughs> um, of the inequities of a certain group, and you happen to be able to opt into that group. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm trans now because of X, Y, and Z rights that have just been established, and it'll make it easier, or these certain grants, or or whatever. Um, that changes the equation. Yeah, it's just like. Um, blue lives matter. You know, black folks say, motherfucker, I can't take off a uniform when I get home. Yeah. I'm black all the time. Um, and there, there's a similar danger with trans, transgender or even just the, the option to claim whether or not you actually are uh, gay or lesbian. Yeah. You can easily claim that you are and nobody can that. say shit about it.
0: Because well, if they do, you're, you're, right. queer, you're queerphobic, yeah. you know, transphobic, what have you. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: And, and that is potentially very problematic.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's very interesting shit. Um, I had a thought. Give me a couple seconds and see if I can, uh, if I can gather. Okay. So, for me, I, I want to close on, close up my last thoughts on the theory that I proposed. The reason that I ascribe the tyrannical father to culture and place that burden on not really burden or and why i think that that's crushing say the black community or just the bipoc community and as a whole let's say or any minority community is because i do actually think that our current culture is getting closer to if not already tyrannically broken i think that there actually is a legitimate problem with our culture um to the point that it needs to be destroyed i I don't agree with that and to the point that it's Done for, I don't agree with that, but there is an actual problem. And we're seeing it with you know we're talking about critical race theory, and this is actually one of the things that I look at, and I think this is this is an example to me of why our culture is heading towards that tyrannical aspect is because we're not learning from our past mistakes. I'd mentioned a couple of minutes about 20, 30 minutes ago that one of the things that I think that we have to do as a species is we have to revivify our culture on the corpse of our dead forefathers. And what I mean by that is that all of the people before us developed a culture and societies and ways of being using the traditions that they learned from their ancestors and so far, so on and so forth all the way back. And over time, very slowly, those things changed when bad shit happened. So like as an example, I do believe that years down the road people are gonna look back at this time and say, that's the moment in history that we actually got our shit together because that's the first time when gays could get married and when it was okay to be gay and you weren't there wasn't something wrong with you wasn't abhorrent you weren't going to go to hell because of these sinful things and stuff like that because we decided as a culture that it was fine and it should be fine but that's what happens with culture over time is we we discover the problems and we finally fix them and if we take too long to do that culture dies with the people the generations that die and if we don't Revivify those traditions and change them to update with the culture. Then we just basically live on our rotting corpse. I so, agree, and I, and I, I think we're I think <clears throat> we're getting to that point. Well, I think we've made some strides, and there are some things. I think the problem is that we're not learning from mistakes, and so I see a critical race theory as an example, and it's literally pulling from dead ideas, from ideas that don't work. And they're like, this is the good. If you don't follow this, you're bad. Let's do communism. And it's like gotcha. okay, so right, that okay. that's that's one example. And it's like and then on the other end of it No one listens to this. Most people don't listen to this But on the other end to, to give the devil its due, let's say um, on the more conservative radical end of it. It's ethno-nationalism But there's a little bit more punch to let's just take out an entire race of people like There's there's, there's a punch to that statement There's not really a punch to the other end of it of let's have equity Right. right and so no one really listens to that side but it, when we see this polarization ethno-nationalism kicks up right you see more white supremacist stuff that does kick up and why because our culture's rotting it's not rotted to the core yet but it's rotting and so you see people reaching back into our past and pulling stuff that may have worked and they're not revivifying it and saying this shit doesn't work we need to grow something new
1: i agree and i think This is exactly what has been happening, what will happen, what should happen, meaning every generation, Mm -hmm. ours included, looks back at the previous generation. Yeah. Man, I can't believe how fucked up they were. I'm glad we're making progress now. Yeah. And the kids that come after us are going to say the same thing about us. And I think that process has been um, ongoing. Yes. Since the founding of the country. Mm Mm-hmm. And from women's suffrage to the civil rights movement to uh, gay marriage and everything in between, all the all the stuff that we have figured out, um, you know, in our lifetime, we get to see but a couple of frames of the movie because it's a long movie. Yeah. So it takes time. Um, and, I, and I only bring this up because, you know, all oh, the look back at 2020, that's when they got their shit together. Nope. That's just a couple more frames in the movie. Yeah. Uh, You know, you you could you could draw that line at so many different places, uh, which is great because that's that's how it has to work. You're not going to get it all fixed in a year. There's no way there is the you know, the process of changing a society. It's a big ship to turn. And there's going to be some people that are early adopters and they get it right away. Yep. There's going to be some people that push back just because that's what they do and they're rebellious. There's going to be some people that take a while to think about it. And there'll be some people that just never get it. And we have to wait for them to die. And that's a normal part of it too. They won't be part of the conversation because they'll be in the dirt and new people will be having new conversations and rinse and repeat for the last 275 years. Um, So to me, it's, it's, we've been making progress.
0: I agree with that. We should
1: continue to make progress. And um, if we are trying to resurrect old ideas, uh, take real close look as to why those are old ideas and got buried.
0: Exactly. And Um, yeah, yeah. no, I totally agree. And here's what I'll end with. Um, This is why I think the work's never done. That's one of the reasons why.
1: Okay. From that context. Yeah. That's, that's one of
0: the reasons why I agree with that statement from the top is that we have to continually be, but we have to, the work is challenge. It's, it's, it's challenging ideas. It's challenging information. It's challenging the traditions that we hold dear And making sure also that we don't lose them. Because you don't just get one and not the other. You can't just challenge ideas, throw them away, and then never have traditions. Sure. You need traditions. You have to have them. Otherwise, you have nihilism. I think fundamentally, I think if you take that deep enough, you just get to an objectionless reality where nihilism is the 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 only thing left. Yeah. Because there's nothing to pull from. And so that doesn't
1: me, make for good summer vacations. No, no, no right exactly. <laughs> and so and for
0: me that's what the work really means is that part of part of it is that what did our ancestors get right and wrong and how can we learn from it?
1: Right. I think it's important to make the distinction that when you say the work is never done, that does not imply that white people yes, will never have absolution. Unfortunately, I think that is the implication and that is what a lot of white people are inferring from that statement. Um, and, and at that level, I completely disagree. but in general, yeah, it's we should always be striving to do better Why, <laughs> why would you not want to get better? That's yeah I mean, that, that's a human nature that we yeah. should embrace and, uh, and and use that in a positive manner.
0: That should be a human like a cultural universal across that transcends race, gender, politics. It is. Religion. It, it
1: is. It really is. It. It, it may not be like a hundred percent universal, but there, of in, in every culture, there's always a, a group, and typically a large group of people that are trying to push things forward. Yeah. It's. It. I mean. In, a, in an evolutionary sense, because that's the lens I like to look through, um, that is the reason we are here. It's maybe because we are competitive and we are curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and being curious gives us a competitive advantage. So that's so, down, uh, that's so deep in our DNA, that's not ever going anywhere. Um, and it's, it's a very useful trait. Yes. We've got to learn how to harness it correctly and not hurt other people. But yeah, curiosity and wanting to do better, uh, that's a good thing. And that's, that's baked in.
0: I agree. All right. Well, everybody... This has been Beyond Red and Blue Podcast. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. And one note, um, I, I want to say that we're, we're framing this just as a, a conversation between Bo and I that we get to share with everybody. But really, I, I think the important thing is that anybody that has conversations that resonate like this, um, whether it's whether it's starting your own, own podcast that you don't intend to publish, what Bo and I are discovering is that Taking the time to have a deliberate discussion. Um, And, you know, we throw up a couple of microphones, but really it's the discussion itself that forces us to think more concisely about some of these topics. Mm -hmm. And even if nobody else ever hears this, this is so incredibly valuable to us that hopefully we can get other people to do the same. Again, you know, publish it or not, but have these conversations with the people that you know. Think deeply about these things. And don't be afraid. Um, yeah, and, and don't be afraid. Get one-on-one, even if it's over you know, Zoom or something like that. But have these conversations with people and encourage them to do the same thing. So maybe you, know, you talk to a friend of yours and that friend goes to talk to some different friends. And keep these kind of conversations going because right now in social media, uh, this kind of thing is not allowed. And if that becomes our sole means of communication through you know, 280 characters and Facebook takedowns and, and all of that mess, then uh, it is literally going to shift our humanity and our reality in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. So keep having good conversations, keep thinking deeply, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.
0: Peace, guys.